guys, welcome back to another episode of the Spare Room Talks, episode number eight. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Rory Kelly in the house. Thank you. How's it going? Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Good welcome to be to here. Show. Welcome to the show. Looking forward to it. Awesome. I'm in great representation with the... Uh, uh, didn't even notice I had it on. Yeah, sure you didn't. That's, <laughs> that, that's how you know it's, a it's a sh- laundry sh- day, sir. <laughs> He's been wearing this for six days already. <laughs> a shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Oh Rory, for the folks that may not know you from before, you know, a quick, like, one-minute one minute intro of, of who you are, what you're about. All right, who I am, what I'm about, uh, where do we want to start? Uh, so, my name's Rory, um, work for HubSpot, uh, you and me, we're old work colleagues, we were together for, well, a couple of years at HubSpot, uh, digital marketing strategist down at HubSpot, um, do a little bit of food blogging in the spare time, a little bit of music, a um, little bit of longboarding. Uh, a little bit of podcasting with you wonderful gents. Um, yeah, looking forward to sharing a little bit of uh, insight into some of the bits and pieces that I got up to on the blog with you guys today and uh, maybe some hints, hints hints, and tricks and tips around content strategy, blogging, that sort of stuff. All the, yeah. all the keywords. All the keywords, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keywords. <laughs> yeah, keyword strategy. <laughs> so you've also won the, congrats by the way for win, winning the, uh, yeah. the blog awards. That's Are amazing. Yeah, amazing. thanks so much. You guys heard about that, yeah? yeah. I think it made the national yeah. press. I'm pretty oh, sure it's <laughs> no biggie. No, so, not at all. So, here, so it, is it is it for, is it officially the bicycle thief or is it Rory Kelly Cooks? So that was the thing that I kind of fought with at the start, and I'll, I'll be brutally honest, I wasn't exactly sure how the whole title of a blog worked and the URL structure. So I I sort of bought RoryKellyCooks.com. Okay. Uh, but it doesn't really trip off the tongue that easily. Um, so I always had this. I'll tell you the story about the bicycle thief where yeah, it came from yeah, shortly. Yeah. Uh, but I just like the ring to that for a blog. And I mean, it doesn't say anything about food, which the blog is ostensibly about. Mm-hmm. So the title of the blog is The Bicycle Thief, but the name is the, or the URL is www.rorykellycooks.com. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. Right. And what's right. the story behind The Bicycle Thief? So the name the bicycle safe where it came from? Yeah. So that, I, I can guess, but I want I want to get the record straight. So. Right, the record straight. <laughs> this is this is something I, I I lost current the amount of times that I was asked about that. And I always kind of kept it a, a deep dark secret. I would never answer that question, and I think it was funny just to keep people guessing about it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I used to be a chef. I trained as a chef after university for a couple of years and worked in a in a restaurant uh, in a professional capacity, and. One morning, very, very late for work, very, very hungover, um, <laughs> needs must. I was literally desperation to get from where I was living to work, which is a good 30-minute um, journey away. Yeah. Very late, and it's a nasty day. I no other choice but to start walking to work, and it was getting pretty nasty. Oh, and uh, walking through a, a housing estate, and uh, there was this little girl's bike. Oh no. oh no! Propped up, oh. propped up against the wall. This little pink bicycle, oh. basket on the front, stabilizers. I thought, this is my transport. I gotta do it. Oh and, no! Uh, I borrowed <laughs> a little I borrowed, girl's bike. Borrowed this on. little girl's bike, this pink little flurry bike, and it got me to work. In a very <laughs> strange job, way. Yeah. Did the job, yeah. And when I get into work, um, the guys were wondering, why is there a pink bicycle at the, at the back door? And I had to own up to it after a little while. And I picked up the, the nickname, the bicycle thief. So for the rest of the time in the kitchen, that's what I was called. So it made sense for me then to turn the, flu, the food blog into the bicycle thief. That's insane. As the bike on eBay now. It's sure, yeah, I should have kept that damn thing. Yeah. Did you ever return I it? I did return it. I no. made a point. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, if it was down to me, it still would have been, I'd say, the back door of the kitchen. 
But the head chef demanded that I bring it back. So yeah. she actually took her car, we threw it in the back, and we sort of really sneakily pulled up to the house, and I took it out and propped that against the wall, and so yeah. we, off, we, off we went. Oh, so, oh my God. Yeah. That's not yeah. as bad, though. No. She got a bike, though. Well, I presume it was a she had owned it anyway. <laughs> but that was it. That's the story of the bicycle. If I was a bicycle thief. Okay, and so now going into the actual blog, the bicycle thief. Yep. Like, how did you... Here's the thing. Like, if someone wanted to start a food blog, I don't know the first thing about food. I just I just come when it's when it's ready. Right. But, like, like, that's probably one of the most, you know, competitive, you know, oh, yeah. busy spaces out there. And, you know, obviously it came from, from a passion that you had. But even, like... Even thinking about this, you've obviously been doing this for for a good couple of years. Mm -hmm. How did how did all of this start? So I mean, it was necessity more than anything else. I mean, I, I always had a passion for food uh, when I worked in the kitchen. I, I took that with me when I left the, the catering world, uh, and I would be furiously writing recipes down in a little notebook in the kitchen. And you know, my writing is terrible. I'd, I'd forget half of the recipes and half the ingredients, and this book was in pieces. Um, and I'd I'd always been intrigued with the the web and the internet and how to kind of record sort of content. I just thought, well, good idea. I'll, I'll put a blog together, and it was literally just a repository of re recipes for me. I had no designs and really pushing it out there and getting traffic and getting audiences. Uh, and I start off really basically. It would be a really bad photograph and a, a crappy little digital camera, and then just a recipe. Nothing more than that. No real content behind it. And I did that for about a year in that really basic form, purely for me. Uh, and yeah. then uh, people started asking me about it. People in work, friends would ask me about it. And they said, can you send me a link to that recipe? Or how did you do this? How did you do that? And then that's really where I started to get interested deeply in, in it. And this is maybe nine, ten months into me you know, recording that, that content. Because um, up until then, it was just you doing it for yourself. For that you was it. Having it as a... As a yeah. Just me. That was yeah. it. I was the only eyeballs on this thing. And like I would look into the stats and WordPress and it would just be algebra to me. It made not, meant nothing <laughs> to me at all. You know, it was just numbers. Uh, so I had no context there whatsoever. And then I started putting a little bit more substance to it. So where the recipe might have come from or, you know, what was happening in the day that I was cooking it or where I got the produce from. And I had a real deep passion for making sure that everything I cooked with or bought came from a butcher's or a fishmonger's or came from, you know, a reliable source. So I kind of yeah. went that direction right. with it. But it was, it was born out of a real passion. But it was only whenever people started showing an interest in it and asked me questions about it. Oh, there's something in this thing. And that's where I kind of started to understand the dynamic of really what websites were all about. So I started talking to that audience, mm -hmm. but in a really basic way. And yeah. it was, as you said, it's a really competitive market. So millions of food blogs out there. And it's a really disheartening thing because then I started searching for other food blogs and then other social media food bloggers. And you go, bloody hell, there's so many. Well, how can I even attempt to try to compete or get my voice heard out there? Right. And that's the one thing that I started to really think I wanted to do was have that voice heard. So what needed to happen was finding something different mm -hmm. to say outside what everybody else was saying, right. but still right. maintaining that core central topic, which was the food. Definitely. Yeah. So I started thinking a little bit from the perspective of what's your history, what's your background, what's your experience, what can you bring to the party that's potentially different yeah. to everybody else you out as a there. Person, yeah. Me as a person and, and how, I could, how I would communicate, how I would bring across a simple message that millions of other people were doing, but in a different way, right. different patterns, right. okay? That brought me back to the time that I spent working in the kitchen, which was the better part of two years. So then 
I always remember telling stories to friends and family about the time I was in the kitchen and this happened and that happened and the other thing happened. And when you're a chef, and if there's anybody, anybody that's a chef listening to this, they'll know all about this. A chef life is bananas, yeah. right? There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stuff you can't talk about. And there's a lot of stuff that's really funny. So when I started writing about um, stories during my time as a chef, and then yeah. I, would, I would connect that with the recipe or connect that with the food, and that's where I started to really think there's a connection here. And I, I noticed that more and more people were asking me about it. More and more people were interested in that particular story. And then the recipe was secondary to it. But the other right. thing that really hit me was the fact that it was, it made me laugh. Mm -hmm. Like I would think back to these stories and I would giggle my ass off writing <laughs> this. And that was the hook that I needed to really ramp things up a bit. And so yeah. moving from maybe writing one blog post every month or two months to then really diligently having a, 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 a target. And I would write out some of the reminiscings from the time as a chef and connect them to, to particular um, recipes or, or food that I would write about. Uh, and then it just sort of blossomed from there. So it became less of just a simple, this is a recipe blog, there's millions of these things, right. to here's a chef or an ex-chef writing about his experiences and these kind of left the center experiences. Right. It wasn't just yeah. this year. One day I woke up and walked into the kitchen a little bit left of center so to speak so your, your whole take on it was almost like the comic relief like just being take taking the funny approach to it yeah and that, that would be your edge but it's interesting enough because you said that a lot of what you'd be talking about would be memories of things yeah. that happened to you that you'd like you look back on and it'd be really funny but i guess how did you go about yourself and what advice would you have for um i guess planning the type of content that you'd be creating right. down the line especially if there's a story or like you're depending on some sort of originality to it. Yep. How did you go about sort of planning that? And would you have any advice for people? Sure, yeah. The same. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, the planning is a big one. And especially when you get to a point where you're passionate about what you want to talk about and you know you want to do it, mm -hmm. you can go off in millions of different directions. And before you know it, you're, you're right. not actually doing anything. So planning is a really important aspect to it. So as I said before, I mean, what I'd sat down one day was uh, literally to plan something. And I would write down just notes about subject matters. I mean, literally scribble these things down. I could be on the bus. I could be walking in the street. Like I'd my phone. A brain dump. You start with, brain dump. In your case, would you start off with the, uh, with the story or with the recipe? Thing? I would start with the story. Okay. So the recipe would follow it. I mean, I pretty much connect any recipe to any story, really. Right. So it would it would literally be a brain yeah. dump. I remember um, listening to a story that I think it was either David Bowie or Bruce Springsteen had said that no matter where they were, what they were doing, if a lyric or a series of, of lyrics came into their head, they would write it straight down, forget about it, and then come back to it, and that would be the, the, the yeah. basis of it. And they could piece it, it together later. And they could piece it together right. later, yeah. So the planning was basically that. It was a brain dump of everything yeah. that was in my head from that time frame. So advice in terms of anybody starting out that direction in terms of content, strategy, and thinking about it mm -hmm. would be brain dump. Fire everything onto a table and never stop. Don't think yeah. anything stupid. Don't think anything is not worthy because these things can sort of blossom and take different directions and, and throw stuff up that you never thought you might you know yeah. have had before um and then piecing it together that way as a start point that's that's actually very interesting that you said that because i feel that uh a big i don't want to get too philosophical about this but i think uh, we're oh, like <laughs> <laughs> philosophy let's do it no but i i, I think like most interesting or beneficial decisions that people would like about themselves uh would happen subconsciously mm -hmm. like you'd get a random idea for me like you know 
whenever I'm showering. Like I yeah, get, yeah. I get, get the best ideas or just randomly a, yeah, like a burst too. of ideas. And uh, I definitely agree with you there that actually like recording things like that as they happen makes all the difference. Like the other day, I, I remember I had this sort of note app on my phone, like the Google Keep thing. Yeah, yeah. And for the last few years, whenever I'd go to an interesting talk or just an interesting meeting or anything, I'd just write like two sentences or one line or a quote or whatever it is, add it up. And then looking back on it, I had like thousands of words, just yeah, like lines yeah, yeah. and then adding up. Just going through it, I'm like, wait a second. A lot of this is actually may seem simple at yeah. the time but just reading it again out of context yeah actually helps you a lot yeah and a lot of times like you know you you add all this stuff together and it becomes becomes a third thing you know that you couldn't even or yeah come up with yeah. yeah i mean it's amazing you're kind of giving yourself a lot of ammunition and i mean we think about it like content really is that i mean it starts off real small and then yeah. you can just add to it and then add to it right um and again like i mean you look at if you create a piece of content a blog post I mean, it lives forever, but it can also be um, molded and it can be changed and it can evolve. And we think about repurposing, repackaging and reconstituting content. I mean, if the end result of that is to share information, yeah. um, if you get to the point in, in different ways, in different packages, you know, it still is valuable. So, I mean, I might have three or four different stories from that time, but I can package them up in different ways. Yeah. And I think the big mistake that people, and it's certainly a big mistake that I made was that um, we tend to think that the only audience that we have they see your stuff every single time that you've got a one consistent audience and web audiences are, are transient they're yeah. really transient so if i have 10 people who looked at the blog yesterday then those 10 people might not come back to that blog for another month or two months or three months but there may in that interim been 20 30 50 150 people brand new that have come past yeah so you're always on and it's consistently open for you to say um maybe the same same thing in a different way a couple of different times and i think that's a big thing that people yeah, get worried yeah. about right you know right, repeat themselves you know eliana was here recently from, mm. from hubspot as well and shout out to eliana you're a rock star <laughs> <laughs> shout out to eliana and she had she had uh she obviously has you know a very successful blog as well and she was saying that she thinks of it in terms of layers if if, if we understood correctly where you'd add one layer of audience and then you would start to now appeal to a second audience as well. Mm. And for her, it started off as, you know, as, 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 um, as simple as just targeting, let's say, PR students at the beginning. And then from there, it became, you know, agency professionals because she mm. started to work more with those people. And then, it, you know, evolved more and more from there. Did you find that it was something similar to you where, as well, where you were adding kind of audiences and layers? Or do you find that it's just, you know, how can I create something that will, will appeal to different people regardless of, any particular structure is mm. just a matter of making content that's universal without necessarily hooing. hooing. Necessarily <laughs> you made that word up. Uh, almost there. <laughs> necessarily knowing who is actually on the other end, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. It's a really good observation as well. Certainly from a business perspective, you've got to know who your audience is. I mean, for me, right at the start, I, you know, I didn't have an audience. My audience was effectively me. And I just yeah. wanted to kind well, of... Well, you're saying there are a lot of people that would like so, sort of go up to you and ask you for like your recipes and things yeah. like that. So. so, I mean, that started that, if we're looking at base layers, that yeah, probably yeah, a base yeah. layer of friends and sort of finally asking me about sort of things would be your sort of consistent 
consistent and constant. Right. But then as the content starts to evolve and you start to find your own rhythm and you start to find your own voice, this is where you can actually track and see different audiences that are being attracted to your content that are resonating with it as well. And certainly, you know, when we have the likes of Instagram and we social media um, platforms like Twitter and Facebook, you can see those types of audiences. Right. So they actually, those layers naturally start to present themselves. And because of the trackability that we have now, I can see which blog posts in a certain style are appealing to a certain layer. Now, again, Eliana being the surgeon that she is, she'll be able to pull those <laughs> apart. I'm not that experienced, skilled, or talented, um, but I'd still have that idea that a certain style or a certain type of blog post will, will speak to a different layer. I'm aware of them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily sit down and go, okay, today, a blog post is written for that layer. You wouldn't be too, like, yeah, prescriptive and yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Um, right, so here's the thing, right? A lot of people say, you know, the, uh, the secret to success or whatever is just keeping at it staying consistent. But surely it can't just be being consistent. I mean, there's got to be an additional thing, uh, additional, you know, X factor that, that is involved to be able mm -hmm. to actually create something that is memorable, worthwhile, and actually gets the, the public's attention as well. Yeah. So did you find that X factor? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I must have done something right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I went searching for an X Factor. I think primarily I wanted to be true to what I wanted to write about. And I wanted yeah. to have that authenticity. Right. Yeah. And like singularly, like every center of successful blogger will, will say, not that I'm a successful blogger, but every <laughs> every content creator, I know, every content creator <laughs> will say, look, authenticity is the most important thing because uh -huh. your audience can smell if you are authentic or not. It's right. just the way you write, the way you present your content, the way you, it you engage. The it makes all it the difference. It exposure as well to all sorts of things online. You know, it, yeah. it makes them naturally, it just makes them so uh, so good that being able to tell what's obviously authentic and what's otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's the authenticity. And on yeah. top of that, it's, I think it is something different. And I know it's, the, this is the kind of holy grail of it. So how do you be different in a room full of the same 100 people it's yeah. not, it's not easy i think it's knowing your competitive marketplace it's knowing what's out there and not doing it and again this is something right. that you know right. it, it's not as easy as it sounds uh, but it's when you find that kind of particular niche or how you present what it is that you're saying that's the different bit i mean there's millions of bloggers out there millions of food bloggers thousands of them in this country and I asked myself the question, well, why do you stand out? Why did you win that award? What, what makes you so special? And I think it's the, the very simple juxtaposition of the, the common thread between me and every other food blogger, which is foods and recipes, but I present it, yeah. which is very, very different from your typical food blogger. Right. My blog content is pretty irreverent. It's not for the under 18s, <laughs> uh, but it's something that everybody could probably resonate or relate to to a degree. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of... It's, it is interesting, it's darkly interesting. Definitely. But you wouldn't necessarily put that with a food blog. So I saw that as being, if you want, the X factor. Yeah. How do we take these two things that would naturally clash, yeah. put it together and see if it worked? Now that wasn't the strategy. The strategy was just to make me laugh and reminisce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the default to it was, shit, this is working. You know, yeah. people are I mean, interested. When you're juxtaposing two things, like you said, that won't, wouldn't necessarily... Uh, you know, go together, uh, but or, or or even or you know they do go together, but it's just something that no one has really ever done before. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes that yeah. makes it very interesting. And, and and you subconsciously ended up taking all those boxes. So like the whole authenticity piece, yeah. um, relate being like relatable, like the whole like comedy aspect of it, and 
that so obviously like listing those things very few people will disagree with you and i'm sure that of the thousands of bloggers in dublin or ireland at yeah. least a lot of them would like to say that uh that they do that but i guess seemingly very few people are actually able to do it properly like yourself would you say that in addition to that the distribution or how you went about promoting your blog was a key sort of success factor of it or was it more the content sort of just spread itself like through word of mouth and so on i think there's definitely a mix of both of those things you've got the you've got the passive and then the active side to this mm -hmm. um and the passive is you just do what you do and enjoy it and know that your audience will get it you be authentic you find the angles so passively your content is going to grow right um but there has to be the active if you consider the the channels that we have available to us how we can actually actively go out there and seek audiences or at least present our content in an open forum where they can naturally be attracted to it and naturally find it. So mm -hmm. I think it's a really important meld of both. Now, for me at the start, it was just all that passive stuff. I'd just bang it out onto the WordPress blog and just see what happened. It might so that worked for it, right? It worked for a little bit, yeah. But if you really want to kind of supercharge it and put the afterburners into it, this is now where you have to start thinking about employing a strategy. Mm -hmm. And for me, the 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 dawning of Instagram X amount of years ago, that was a gift for not just me, but also, you know, every other food blogger, any any content medium that is visual, mm -hmm. Instagram is just without doubt far and away the best platform yeah. to do that. Um, I'm not really having much of a strategy around the Instagram um, platform outside of you know, get stuff out there, you know, speak about it, tag it, you use a lot of people. hashtags, yeah, like relevant. Of, hashtags. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's the natural mechanism on that platform that mm. that's how you reach those audiences, or at least that's how you expose your content to them. And then after that, they make their own decision if they want to hang around, if they want to follow you, if they want to get involved in your content. So the passive and also the active, very, very yeah. important. And the fact that it's not just something you're just posting for the sake of it, but it's, you know, or not, you're not just posting it, you know, and it's really bland. It's obviously something that's got a quirk to it or an angle to it. Yeah. You know, and it's something that, you know, we always try and, uh, you know, uh, tell brands as well, like where we'd see like, if they're like in a very formal kind of industry, we'd say, okay, well, mm. let's do the absolute opposite of that. Or if they're in a very casual industry, would say, okay, how can we make this more formal? You know, just yeah. for kids. That's obviously a very like, uh, ba you know, basic kind of like uh, way to measure it. But as as long as you know, you're I suppose you're juxtaposing something that's yeah. that's interesting with uh, with the main thing that you're actually doing, and of course doing that consistency piece and being able to leverage all the Shit. all the tools to. Yeah. Uh, well, it to used to kill me when I think back to this. When I worked in the agencies, this the, I, this phrase used to really make my sick, sick to my stomach, which was, "Let's try this." And I would have a marketing director say, "No, we can't do that. It's off brand." And that really annoyed me. I was like, what, word, what, yeah. "What's the problem with <laughs> off being brand. off brand? Yeah. The colors are wrong, or the tone of voice is wrong." I said, "Well, will this stick out? Well, I mean, will this?" put your brand to a new level will expose you to new audiences and i always get stonewalled every single time that i would come up with something that was off brand because yeah. of that and i think a lot of it was down to content creators and ceos and marketing managers who were afraid to kind of do something different because the brand might be damaged and right in this yeah. day and age i mean i think that's near on impossible unless you did something really crazy yep um but it's that juxtaposition it's going from one to the other and putting two things together that naturally you wouldn't think fit and then next thing you know, you've got audiences who talk about it. And uh, I think the, the other side of the coin is um, challenge the norm. Challenge the status quo. If 100 people are doing the same thing, don't you be the 101st. Me and Emin are getting like t-shirt ideas right now. Yeah. You just cut me in into commission. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, be off brand, you know, challenge. Be literally. off brand. Yeah, literally, literally, yeah, I'm telling you. Oh. No, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
So here's the thing, like uh, we literally had this in our notes as well. A lot of people are more than happy to get started trying to find their style, but they're just, they, they have this, because to be honest, like it's something that we've, we've had as well. Like how do you find your style and, and, and focus on that, which is, you know, just being yourself, doing what you're, you know, true about, you know, being authentic. That's actually straightforward enough for people to understand, but it's something that they always wrestle with is how can I do that and still do something that is, you know, going to be whatever, like SEO friendly mm. or matched with what people are actually looking for. Do you think it's either or? Do you think it's something in the middle? What do you think about that? I think it is. It's it's a lot of experimentation. Mm. I think because we've got so many tools that we can try stuff and test it. If it doesn't work, you keep moving, you try something different. But mm. I think it's very much in the middle. You gotta you gotta find your own voice and style. Um, it's gotta be, you know. But what's the guarantee someone's gonna find me or discover me, you know? Well, that's the thing. There is no guarantees in this <laughs> one. You can't stack, stack the chips in your favor with um, kind of leaning into and being aware of SEO methodology and, and some of the tactics that you can employ. Um, consistency and the consistency of content creation for me is the single greatest SEO tool that there is. You can get consistency. lost. Consistency. Consistency of content. Um, that's why, that, that explains why you'd be searching for something and you'd get an article that's perfectly related to it, but it's got none, none of the, the keywords or whatever, it's, but it's just something that's so relevant yeah. to what you're looking for regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can be, uh, and that's one of the most off-putting things when, when it comes to content creation and you've got this big SEO millstone around your neck, you can mm -hmm. get so bogged down and searching for keywords and key phrases and then trying to match them and, and think what are the competitors doing, do something different. Yeah, I think yeah. primarily if you focus on good authentic content on a very regular basis, and you get that machine running, yeah. then the SEO stuff, you can tack into it. You can be a little bit clever with your content, um, but I think that that is the primary function. That's the primary one. Um, there's no magic that, bullet. Yeah. There's no magic bullet yeah. to it. That's amazing. There that means no you, can just, you should just straight, stay, stay true to what you're actually about and building, yeah. and you know that's going to get that's going to naturally yeah. build its own audience. With the, one of the agencies that I worked with, I mean, we had a team of um, four content creators mm -hmm. and they would, they would create the blog. The agency grew out of a blog uh, from someone's bedroom. And the reason that they did so well wasn't that these guys were all experts in SEO and they, they were wizards in this, these mm -hmm. dark arts. It wasn't. It was the ability to fire out maybe two to three blog posts per day over the first six months of the life cycle of this yeah. agency. And it was, you can't ignore that sort of action. And Google can't ignore that sort of action. It's just ringing the dinner bell. <laughs> but it was authentic content and it was regular and it was useful content. Yeah. And it was just very slightly peppered with a little bit of SEO strategy. Back then, six, seven years ago, you know, keywords may have been stuffed in a little yeah. bit here and there, but but, but that wasn't by any means the main kind of success factor. Absolutely not. No, I mean yeah. it was the fact that we we had something to say. The content creators in the agency really had something to say, and they had a you know an unlimited supply of content because this was all around marketing and social media. So there was never going to be a dry up of content. Right. But they were astute enough to know that if we punch out maybe two to three articles per day, like these were only four hundred, maybe five hundred blog word blog articles. They weren't by any means monsters. Mm -hmm. uh, and they would get them out there on a regular basis. And that, you just, search engines can't ignore that sort of level. But I guess uh, being devil's advocate here, mm. um, a lot of people sort of would procrastinate the whole like blog writing thing mm. or delay it purely because they're trying to perfect it, you know? Yep. Like uh, perfe <laughs> perfection is always the enemy when you're trying to get yeah. things done. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like obviously it's about finding a balance as with everything in life. But if you are just focusing on volume and putting out, content will that still work for you 
even if you're not able to sustain the same sort of level of quality. It's a good point. It's a really good observation as well. But I think the one thing that plays in our favor is that we can revisit content that we would probably deem to be less qualitative than today. So if I punched out something, let's right. say a month ago, um, and I look back and go, oh, I'm not sure I should have put that out. That's you know, it's pretty subpower. Because the audience who looked yeah. at it may have been pretty much gone at this stage, I can pull that out now and learn from it and sort of revisit it a month later, six months later, repackage that content and push it out again. So it yeah. almost gives you more data to sort of work with the Exactly, yeah. Proof. I mean, I do that quite that regularly. Yeah. That I mean, the, yeah. the big question that I get asked constantly is like, you, you, when do you run out of stuff to say? It's like, well, it happens regularly, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a muscle, like, you know, you're not, uh, you actually get better with time. It's like, you're yeah. the fucking term Terminator, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're only getting stronger with You're time. just getting better and better the more you do that. So because I think it's more, yeah. an evolution to that as well. Yeah. As well, right. if you, I guess if you're posting so much and one of them flops, it's, it's doesn't really count in a sea of, you know, cause you're, you'll be back you again bury tomorrow it with everything else. Week. That's yeah. it. And people get so broken hearted, you know, it's. The, the really ironic thing about blog content creation is the fact that you could write a blog post and agonize over it and spend a week doing it and you're happy with it. At the end, it's the best blog post you ever uh, put together. Yeah, one person. Yeah. Right? You push it out there and you get nothing. Nobody even blinks an eyelid at it. But then you push something out, you just rush it together in the toilet <laughs> and they say, bang, it goes viral. It's the most impressive blog traffic you ever saw. And you're, you're sitting going, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's no answer to that question because there, there are so many variables out there that can affect this. The takeaway from that is you push something out and it doesn't get, doesn't get the traffic you expect, forget about it, move on, do the move next on, one. Yeah, yeah. Do the always next repurpose one. it. Correct, repurpose, like repackage, yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay, any parting advice or thoughts for folks who are trying to build a memorable brand for their business. Cause the thing is like, if you're a small company, chances are the brand really does come down to the folks who are running the yep. whole, the whole show. It really does come down to those personal brands and you know a thing or two about that. So what, what are some things that maybe we didn't even discuss today that you think people should have in mind? I think knowing first and foremost that if they're entering the digital ecosystem, that this is a prerequisite, they have to have a voice mm -hmm. uh, right. and content is their voice online. What do you mean they have to have a voice? What if, what if they don't want to have? <laughs> if they don't have a voice, I mean, it's literally that. They've, they've, they've no speech. They've, yeah. they've got no standing on the platform on the digital stage. And literally, this is where um, small companies' audiences live. This is where they reside. This is where they go looking for information. So if you're silent, your competitors are screaming from the rafters. Your competitors are going to take your business. Yeah. You have to have a voice out there. You have to compete on this stage. Um, but you have to compete cleverly. Um, if your competitors are saying one, one tack, one line, you have to stand off that. You have to say something different. You have to challenge the norm in this. The first piece of advice is you know you have to have a digital voice, and that is in the shape of content. The second piece of advice we touched on this is um, don't say the same thing that your competitors are saying. Challenge norms. Be controversial is one of the pieces of advice that I got from an old boss of mine when it comes to content strategy. And it was a case of uh, it's better than a it's better than a thousand people, you know, would challenge what you say, or maybe even don't like what you say, versus a million people who love what you say. You know, there's more yeah, it means you've right, you know, like an emotion or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah, and it's a reaction. If we think about the content that you put up online, it's all about gaining a reaction. All social media, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, the likes and the shares, it's a reaction, and the human condition is built on that. So anybody posts anything on Instagram, they get a like from it. And they got to follow. That's a reaction, and it's an endorphin release. Right. Yeah. So, 
another piece of advice is think about it in that aspect as well. The more you push out there, the more you're going to get an addiction from it. More people are going to start reading your content. And it's a really pleasant feeling when you get that. And it's a big piece that keeps you motivated as well. It's so, almost like following a show or following something new that you started yeah. to, or going to uh, a new, you know, yep. gym or class or whatever the case may be. It just yeah. becomes part of your uh, lifestyle. You begin to expect yeah. it almost. And it's a real safety net as well because everybody suffers from, I couldn't be bothered to do this today. I don't want to do it. And whether or not it's going to the gym or writing content, habit will trump motivation every single time. Yep. So it's important when Good you're starting bad, off. Yeah good or bad and the, the word habit can normally have negative connotations like a bad habit but if it's used wisely it can be incredibly important and it saves you in those days where you go you know something i really don't want to write a blog post today or this week but the habit inside you forces you to do it right and when you finish you go i'm glad i did that yeah you know i'm really glad i did it but i wasn't motivated to do it it was only habit that got me to do that yeah so the important piece for small businesses even starting off in this one is just grind at it, get into that habit. You'll find at the end of maybe a month or two or three months worth of writing the content, you form the habit. Yeah. And that's a protection, that's a safety net that will keep you going when the motivation levels are low. And how long does it take to get a habit formed? Six days. Okay. So it not 21. It's not 21. <laughs> 21 days. Who knows? It's 21 10, days. It's insane. You, you got to practice them like, like 10,000 times in order to... 10,000 yeah, hours. 10,000 hours, yeah. That's bull crap. Yeah, probably is. I don't know. There's, there's so don't many. Know. Yeah, there's so many takes on it. But like, say for you, for example, did you ever have a, a period where you're like, you know, where you actually lost motivation? Yeah. And you stopped posting for a while, but then you came back. Yeah. And now you developed the habit. It, it actually happens quite regularly where there are periods in time where I just go, eh. Um, and even the habit not doesn't push me. I'm not feeling it. Yeah. And I think I mean I I can afford to do that because I'm a social blogger. I'm not. It's not a business. I don't. I'm not building a brand here. Um, but if I was, I would make sure that that habit was so locked in that no matter what day it was, there's always going to be a piece of content that's coming to support the business. Yeah. Because I would look at it from the perspective of that blog article, that's worth dollars in our bank account. It really is. That's how important um, a content strategy for Literally, small businesses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Big time. Definitely. Rory, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Forever, but, uh, <laughs> we're conscious of your time. Thanks cool. so much for joining. Always a pleasure. And we'll uh, stay in touch. Thanks, guys. Thanks.